This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. We've got some crazy news to get to today, so let's dive right in. And I'm sure you guys have already heard about this one. Trump's Mar-a-Lago home searched by FBI in unprecedented move. This is from Politico. The FBI executed a search warrant at the Mar-a-Lago estate of former President Donald Trump on Monday as part of an investigation into the alleged mishandling of White House records, including potentially classified material, according to two people familiar with the matter. Good grief. The Florida raid, which one of these people said took hours, resulted in the seizure of paper records, according to one person familiar with the development, who also noted that Trump attorney Christina Bob was present during the search. It was a historic step by the Justice Department and FBI to investigate the residence of a former president who was battling an increasingly complex thicket of legal threats. No former president, particularly one who was openly considering another bid to the Oval Office, has faced such a public law enforcement action, which immediately led to calls among his allies for recriminations and even the elimination of federal law enforcement agencies. Quote, They even broke into my safe, Trump himself said in a lengthy statement decrying the FBI search and comparing it to Watergate. Trump, who was one of the first to confirm the FBI action, said in a statement that his resort was, quote, under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, the unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate, Trump said. The former president was not president at Mar-a-Lago. Instead, he was at Trump Tower in New York City, according to a person familiar with the situation. His son, Eric Trump, informed him of the raid. The FBI and the U.S. Attorney's offices in Washington didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Spokespeople at Justice Department headquarters in Washington declined to comment. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Florida, the Secret Service, and the Palm Beach Police Department deferred comment to the FBI. Two sources familiar with the matter said top Biden White House officials were not given advance notice of the raid, which could potentially alter the course of both the upcoming midterms and the eventual Trump-Biden rematch in 2024. Oh, it sounds like a uh, it's set in stone here, according to Politico. Uh, honestly, I could see this being a move by the White House, uh, by Biden's administration, to make it so Trump was the one who runs for election because his supporters are probably going to be a little bit riled up about this. I'd prefer DeSantis. That's just me. The FBI and the U.S. attorney's offices in Washington didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Spokespeople at Justice Department headquarters in Washington declined to comment. The U.S. attorney's office for the Southern District of Florida, the Secret Service, and the Palm Beach Police Department deferred comment to the FBI. Two sources familiar with the matter said top Biden White House officials were not given advance notice of the raid, which could potentially alter the course of both the upcoming midterms and a eventual Trump-Biden rematch in 2024. Wow, political Politico already seems to think that that's set in stone. Though the investigation of Trump's handling of presidential records have been percolating for months, it has largely remained in the background while the January 6th Select Committee built a case that Trump committed crimes to disrupt the transition of power after his defeat in the 2020 election. The National Archives and Records Administration had confirmed in February that it had sought to recover 15 boxes of records from the Mar-a-Lago that it deemed improperly removed, including some marked as classified national security information. The archives confirmed that at the time that it had been in touch with the Justice Department about the recovered documents. At the time, the archives said 
It had ongoing communication with Trump's team about recovering missing presidential records. The archives also indicated that it was working to recover unarchived social media messages, that it had evidence that Trump tore up and destroyed some papers, not all of which were recovered. The archives also confirmed in December that it was reviewing whether Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows improperly stored records from his personal phone and email accounts. That investigation has also become an increasingly public threat to Trump, with some of his top allies and former White House officials facing grand jury subpoenas and FBI searches. Earlier in the day, the Justice Department defended its decision to seize the cell phone of John Eastman, the attorney who helped devise Trump's strategy to seize a second term he didn't win. Federal investigators have pursued evidence that Trump's administration mishandled presidential records and even removed some boxes to Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. An executed search warrant would require the sign-off of a federal judge or magistrate who would issue the warrant based upon evidence of a potential crime. The law enforcement moves at Trump's residence came as lawyers and other observers have been bracing for action this month in politically sensitive Justice Department investigations as prosecutors approach a traditional quiet period for such probes in the lead-up to elections. Unbelievable. Folks, before I go to my next story, let's stop and take a moment to talk about the Fight, Laugh, Feast Club membership. By joining the Fight, Laugh, Feast army, not only will you be aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, but... You'll also get access to content placed in our club portal, such as past shows, all of our conference talks, and exclusive content for club members that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Lastly, you'll also get discounts for our conferences. So, if you've got 10 bucks a month to kick over our way, you can sign up now at flfnetwork.com or at fightlaughfeast.com, whichever's easiest. Now, let's go from one agency to another. The IRS stockpiles more than 5 million rounds of ammunition. Apparently, the IRS needs a little firepower to help with those audits. The IRS has stockpiled 5 million rounds of ammunition and spent $725,000 on bullets this year, according to Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who has introduced a bill to block future ammunition purchases by the agency. The Republican lawmaker announced his sponsorship of the Disarm the IRS Act in a July press release. The bill would ban the IRS from acquiring ammunition through direct purchase or otherwise. The bill awaits a potential vote in the House Ways and Means Committee. The issue drew national attention after Gates appeared on Fox News' Jesse Waters' primetime last week, saying that the IRS had spent $750,000 in 2022 alone on ammunition. Quote, Call me old-fashioned, but I thought the heaviest artillery the IRS agent would need would be a calculator, not $725,000 worth of ammunition, Gates said during his appearance. While people may not think of the IRS needing weapons and ammunition, it has a criminal investigation division with armed law enforcement to pursue tax felons. A 2018 report from the Government Accountability Office said the IRS's criminal investigation division had 2,148 law enforcement officers, 44 100-plus weapons, including 15 fully automatic firearms, and 5.05 million rounds of ammunition. According to the officer down memorial page, four officers with the IRS have died since 1989 from medical conditions or accidents. None of them were firearm-related. And, hey, the IRS did just hire 87,000-plus new IRS agents, uh, building an army maybe? I don't know. But the IRS is the only government agency building up massive caches of guns and bullets. OpenTheBooks.com, a nonprofit government watchdog group, released a report called The Militarization of the U.S. Executive Agencies in December 2020. 
detailing how agencies that people wouldn't normally associate with law enforcement were stockpiling weapons and ammunition. The Environmental Protection Agency owns 600 guns. At the same time, special agents at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration are equipped with machine guns and AR-15s. Even the Smithsonian Institution employed 620 armed special agents, up from zero officers in 2008, according to a report. But, of course, we shouldn't be allowed to have guns. Adam Andrzejewski, I think I pronounced that right, but, you know, I I leave that up to y'all. CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com told the Epic Times via email that the public should question why these agencies are armed to the teeth. Not only do they wield legal power, but they also are amassing firepower. Just who are the federal agencies preparing to battle, he wrote. He also said that there is no public purpose for rank-and-file paper-pushing federal agencies to load up on guns, ammunition, and military-style equipment. Our data shows that the federal government has become a gun uh, has become a gun show that never adjourns taxpayers' need to tell Washington that police powers belong primarily to cities and states, not the feds. That's uh, that's he also added that. And hey. This is a good spot for one of our sponsors, Armored Republic, because we need an Armored Republic. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic, there is no king but Christ. We are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. We create tools of liberty. Free men must, must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. Apparently, it's our—it's looking like our government. God has given us the tools of liberty needed to defend the rights he bestowed to us. Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools. Visit them right now at AR500.com. Now, uh, speaking of, you know, guns and uh, maybe the lack thereof here, the media is starting to notice that we're running out of cops because I'm sure the government wants the state level to be dependent on the federal government. Let's say there's a violent intruder at your door or someone is breaking into your house in the middle of the night. Who are you going to call? Ghostbuster? No. Uh, assuming that you don't have the number for the Ghostbusters, you'll probably dial 911. But in a number of cities, the odds that anyone will be available to respond quickly enough to save you has been dropping. The problem has grown serious enough that even the Associated Press, wildly, wildly liberal uh, media, uh, the Associated Press has been forced to cover the story. They began with an interview with George Spaulding of Portland, Oregon, five years ago. His son Brian was shot to death in his apartment. Though George checks in with the detective assigned to the case frequently, the police say they still have no leads. But even George admits that the police are simply overwhelmed, and they probably just don't have the manpower to assign anyone to really work the case full-time. And it's not just Portland where this is happening. Response times to emergency calls are rising, and the number of criminal cases being closed are falling in many cities. From Philadelphia to Portland to Los Angeles, killings and gun violence are rising at the same time officers worn out by the pandemic and disillusioned over the calls to divest from policing that followed George Floyd's murder are quitting or retiring faster than they can be replaced. And who, heck, who are you going to recruit to fill those positions? Everybody hates you as soon as you put on that uniform. Departments are scrambling to recruit in a tight labor market and also rethinking what services they can provide and what role police should play in their communities. Many have shifted veteran officers to patrol, breaking up specialized teams built over decades in order to keep up with 911 calls. 
If you read through the entire report, the AP cites statistics and provides quotes from various officials in five cities. Take a look at this list of names and see if you notice anything in common. Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and Baltimore are all cited. It should come as no surprise to most of our readers that these are all cities that were subjected to violent BLM riots during the Summer of Love, and all of them later to attempted uh, to defund the police in various ways. Now, crime rates are up in each of those cities, particularly violent crime rates. Response times are up and case closure rates are down. Police forces in each of those cities have been depleted, and they are struggling to find qualified recruits to replace the officers who have left, along with the officers who were killed or too seriously wounded to return to duty in some cases. Is there any honest person who's having trouble connecting the dots here? The Associated Press gamely quotes one professor from the Crime and Justice Policy Lab at the University of Pennsylvania. He claims that you can't blame the protests and the defunding movement because, quote, crime is up in many areas, even where those things don't, didn't happen. That much may be true, but it's definitely a lot worse in the cities on this list. How can anyone continue to deny this? Today, we're hearing complaints from disgruntled and frightened citizens. That's understandable. But we should also remember that many of those complaining the loudest also helped elect the municipal office officials who put all of these policies in place to begin with and bent to the will of the mob. Now, they are reaping what they themselves have sown. If you don't like what's going on in the streets, take some responsibility yourself and work to put new people in charge who will deal with the situation in a serious fashion or perform a tactical retreat and to reach out to our uh, friends at Story Real Estate. No, I'm not going to dive into an ad for them, but, but you, you get the idea. Once you do that, you just might be able to convince some new aspiring law enforcement officers to come work in your cities. Now, let's shift our eyes overseas. Did you know that China is one of the freest countries in the world? We still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There is nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. courageous people, and, and it, it's just... I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interest who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. That's right. Pelosi says China is one of the freest societies in the world. She cited Freedom House as a source, but Freedom House, however, does not list China as a free country, calling its government an authoritarian regime that has become increasingly repressive in recent years. It continues, the ruling Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, continues to tighten control over all aspects of life and governance, including the state bureaucracy, the media, online speech, religious practice, universities, businesses, and civil society associations, and it has undermined an earlier series of modest rule of law reforms. The CCP leader and state president Xi Jinping, Winnie the Pooh, has con consolidated personal power to a degree not seen in China for decades. That's who she cited, Freedom House right there. Freedom House considers the small island nation of Taiwan, the yeah, that independent little island near China, however, to be free, ranking 94 out of 100 on its freedom scale. Perhaps this is what Pelosi was referring to, as she just returned from a trip to Taiwan. It's easy to get those mixed up. Pelosi's Taiwan trip was a huge issue for China, which took the opportunity to engage in a massive show of force. 
over the island. The self-ruling island has faced increased threats of violence from the CCP in recent days following Pelosi's visit there. To repeat in condemnation by the communists, U.S. officials have made clear, though, they don't support an independent Taiwan, despite comments from President Joe Biden that the U.S. would militarily defend it. We've repeatedly said that we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence, and we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. That was John Kirby, for those wondering. Oh, boy. Well, uh, that's our government in a snapshot for you today. So let's change topics here to the topic that I love, sports. Vast majority of Oklahoma players didn't want Kale Gundy to resign, according to a report. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kale Gundy has resigned from the University of Oklahoma. He's an assistant coach there uh, for reading a a nasty word uh, out loud. That's how bad it's gotten. And the players of his own team didn't want him to resign. So here it is. Many members of the Oklahoma Sooners reportedly didn't want Cale Gundy to leave the program. The longtime Sooners assistant resigned from his coaching position after he admitted to reading, reading a shameful and hurtful unknown word off of a player's iPad during a film session. He announced his resignation late Sunday night after more than two decades as a coach with the program. Despite his resignation, it sounds like many members of the team didn't want him to leave. Gabe Icard reported, quote, The vast majority of players on the roster didn't want Gundy to leave. However, it sounds like they couldn't sway his mind. After more than two decades as a coach with the Sooners and several seasons as a dominant quarterback in Norman, Gundy is gone because he read off of a player's iPad during a film session. As Gundy claimed in his statement, they weren't his words. He was reading a message on the iPad. Quote, I want to be very clear. The words I read aloud from the screen were not my words. What I said was not malicious. It wasn't even intentional. Still, I'm mature enough to know that the word I said was shameful and hurtful, no matter my intentions. The unfortunate reality is someone in my position can cause harm without ever meaning to do so, the former Oklahoma coach told fans in his resignation announcement. Overall, it seems like this situation spiraled out of control before most people even realized what happened, and that's backed up by the fact that most players didn't even want him to resign. What an incredibly bizarre and strange situation within the Oklahoma football program. And sure, maybe other details will come to light that showed, oh man, that this was a bad situation, but uh, to me, it sounds like he forgot his balls back at the U of Oklahoma. That's just me. This has been your Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, share it. If you want to sign up for a club membership for our conference with that club membership discount, by the way, or sign up for a magazine, you can do all three of those by heading on over to fightlapbeast.com. And as always, if you'd like to send me a news story, ask about our conference, or approach us about corporate partnership with Cross Politic, you can email me at garrison at fightlapbeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day. Good work, Wes.